Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 76 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content, events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Jody Rash, Managing Director of Veg Invest Trust, a vegan investment fund in New York that provides early stage capital and guidance to companies striving to replace the use of animals. Prior to launching Veg Invest Trust in 2015, Jody headed the social performance group at financial services company Moody's Corporation, working on projects including microfinance and social investing. He also served on various advisory boards, including Women's World Banking's Gender Performance Initiative and the Global Impact Investing Rating Service. His 39-year professional background also includes funding a company that conducted financial training programs for international commercial and investment banks, heading up the New York Derivative Sales Desk of Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, and working in the corporate treasury departments of two Fortune 500 companies. Veg Invest Trust's current portfolio includes plant-based meal planning and delivery services Lighter and Purple Carrot, fast food chain Veggie Grill, sustainable seafood company New Wave Foods, and Washington DC eatery Shook. In this interview, Jody talks about the types of businesses Veg Invest Trust is looking to collaborate with, what he looks for when considering investing in a business, the key mistakes vegan business owners make when approaching investors, what to do when you have little to no experience in an industry to make your venture attractive to investors, what he expects as an investor from a business after funding has been provided, the risks involved in investing for both the business owner and investor, Why he believes large animal product companies buying out vegan businesses is a good thing. What to put in place to deter a company buying out your vegan brand, then later adding animal products under its name, and much more. Here's the interview with Jodie Rash of Veg Invest Trust. Hello Jodie, thank you very much for joining me today. I'm happy to be here. So I'm very excited to learn more about what you do and to share this with uh, with the listeners because you're doing a brilliant service, uh, particularly for, for vegan startups, um, which we'll get into in a moment. But first of all, my first question is always about people's why. So you have a very strong background in finance and investing and particularly social investing. And you set up VegInvest, uh, yeah, have I said that right? Yes, VegInvest in 2015. So what are your drivers? Why did you do this new venture? Well, it actually started much further back than that, more around 2007-2008. And uh, I was uh, at the time working at one of the big bond rating agencies, and I had started a group there called the uh, Social Performance Group, where we were looking at doing ratings, uh, social ratings, as opposed to just looking and financial ratings. We were working in, we did a lot of work in microfinance and green bonds and, and some other areas as well. And I had been 
vegan then uh, for a couple of years, and I started thinking about trying to invest my own money in a way that was consistent with uh, my values. And so I started looking at all these sites where they had these uh, social uh, social uh, mutual funds to try to find one that actually did an animal rights screen as opposed to animal welfare, because an animal welfare screen means that they, in their minds, treat animals better, but they're still killing them and they're still abusing them. So I was looking for animal rights, and I couldn't find any. I found one in the UK, so it wasn't open to uh, U.S. investors. And that was the only one in the entire world that I found that did that. So I started thinking that if I was interested in this, that maybe others were as well. So I put on my investor cap then and said, well, is this a good investment area? And I was looking at all the trends. At the time, the climate link with animal agriculture was not as investigated as it is today. But you found there was still a lot of uh, issues around health and uh, and also on the, the ethical issues involved with animal agriculture. And even though the number of vegans was not going up, the demand for vegan products was going up. And that was, you know, 2007, 2008. So there wasn't a great time to start up a fund. And I was also working uh, full time. So fast forward to 2015. Uh, I left, uh, I decided to quasi retire from, from Moody's and I was looking for, uh, to potentially do angel investing on my own. One of the not for profits that I'm on the board of, we have a very generous backer and I was talking to him about, about this type of investing and then he said, well, why don't we start up a fund? So, uh, he was interested in kind of bankrolling us to start this up. Uh, and I was very interested in uh, the investment side of it. And by starting up a small fund, uh, we could really have a lot more impact than I could have on my own uh, doing the impact investing. So it was just kind of a chance conversation that I had with uh, a very like-minded individual that uh, got this whole thing going. Wonderful. I love that. I love the background of that. Fantastic. So let's talk a bit about this exactly then. What does Veg Invest what does it actually do? We provide equity capital for early stage uh, c- companies that support in some way a vegan lifestyle. So what we look at is impact. We will invest in companies that get animals out of the system in some way. So that actually helps hone the types of companies we look at. So you can have a company that's vegan, for example, a potato chip uh, company and they may do a lot of very positive things in terms of workers and health and all that kind of stuff. But potato chips by their very nature are vegan anyway, whether it's Lay's producing it or a vegan entrepreneur. So those are not the types of products that we're looking for. We're looking for the types of products that will people will use instead of meat. So We've invested in in restaurants that are are vegan. Veggie Grill was one of our investments, and a great restaurant down in Washington D.C. called Shook is one of our restaurants. We've invested in some packaged goods companies, so ones that are actually producing food. Fig Food is one. Nut Pods is another that does kind of a non-dairy creamer. But the interesting thing is we, we then expanded out beyond that. 
one of the companies we've invested in is Vitro Labs, which actually does uh, cultured leather products. So they actually take uh, animal cells from a living animal, but then they can grow those cells in a bioreactor to produce leather without having to kill the animals. Oh, wow. And then one of the, yeah, and then one of the, I think one of the very interesting companies we've invested in is one called uh, Emulate. And what they do is they grow human organs on uh, computer chi- or on, on chips that can get plugged into a big computerized system. And then they will use those human organs to test drugs against rather than testing them again on animals. And why I like investments like that is that they're very interesting because 89% of the drugs that pass animal testing fail in human tests because animals' physiologies are very different than than human physiology. So if we were to, let me just take an example. If we were to test chocolate on dogs, We'd never be eating chocolate because it's toxic to dogs. Yeah. As our grapes. So there goes our wine. So it's actually much more effective to test drugs on actual human organs. You get a much more accurate read. And given the billions of dollars that these drug companies uh, spend on getting their drugs approved, anything that's more effective and more accurate, they get behind. So this is where you're not fighting against the system, you actually have the drug companies who are very interested in this technology because it will actually help them as well as helping the animals. Fantastic. Now, that's great. So I love how you've branched out. You've got that real mix of businesses, like you say, kind of vegan restaurants um, through to, yeah, like the cultured leather. And I, I'm not sure I'd heard about cultured leather. I heard about the cultured meat. I know that's that's kind of becoming uh, something of interest. So oh, that's that's really, really interesting. So you mentioned that you focus on early stage uh, businesses and providing seed funding. Why did you decide to focus on the early stage ones rather Rather than say uh, existing businesses, well, a number of reasons. One is uh, is first the size of the fund. I mean, we're about we're a fairly small fund. We're about a five million dollar fund right now. We'll be growing over over time. But if you're going to be investing in later stage companies, you've got to be able to write checks of at least a million dollars on up, and and we can't do that uh, just because we get you know we do five investments and then we're done. So that's one. The other reason is that if you look at the landscape right now, there are not that many larger vegan companies out there. So one of the reasons why we went into this is to make more vegan products available to consumers. What we're finding is the vast majority of the companies that I think potentially can have a big impact are very small right now, and they need kind of the seed and we'll call the A round funding in order to start getting bigger and scaling. So we're very early stage of developing the vegan market. And third is just, you know, in terms of uh, my background and what I like doing is I like working with, with entrepreneurs and, you know, I have about 39 years of experience in finance and kind of helping them understand how to put together a business plan, how to correctly price their, uh, their company and so on. And it's just more, I enjoy doing that. So those are kind of the three reasons why we go into the early stage companies. Got it. Got it. I love that. So approximately um, how much funding per project would you do, say, in a year? Like, so we're, 
Yeah, we target to try to do about $2 million a year. Uh, we have a little flexibility on uh, on how much we do. So we're a $5 million fund now. Uh, but, you know, as we grow, our backer will provide additional funding. Sure. Uh, so what so I meant is like, so for, if a business was looking for investment, like they, they could apply for what, a, a few hundred thousand per time? Or is it like a, or, or is it more of a collection of sh- smaller, say 50,000, whatever type investment? I'm just trying to get an idea of the scale of the yeah, actual investment for sure. businesses. It, it depends on the stage of the company. And again, you know, we're usually not the only investor in a company. So our check size, the smallest we've done so far is 75,000. Uh, and we've gone up to like, well, so far 400,000. We're going to do our, our first check a little bit bigger than that, uh, coming up, but generally somewhere between a hundred and two hundred and fifty thousand dollars is where we write the checks. However, there, we also belong to a, a syndicate of like-minded investors called Glasswall Syndicate. So if we're in a deal and we're putting in 100000 or $200,000, there are usually other investors in there. And so the company might be raising a million, $2 million, and we'll take maybe a dollars to $250,000 of that. And some of our other co-investors uh, will, uh, will be putting in the rest. Fantastic. Fantastic. Got it. I love that. So in terms of what you look for in a company, I know you touched on, I'm glad you clarified the types of companies that you, you look for. So if it's already a vegan product, like you said, potato chips, uh, that, that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for more kind of innovative and, like you say, impactful businesses. In terms of a vegan business approaching you then, um, what do you look for when you're, because obviously you'll probably get a lot of businesses approaching you that fit that particular criteria that they're doing something interesting. But how do you then decide which to choose to invest in? What do you look for? Well, one thing we'll look for is scalability. So, for example, someone who wants to open up a vegan restaurant, if it's going to be like a high-end vegan restaurant, uh, that's probably not something we'll look at. We will look at like fast casual restaurants where someone wants to open up a chain because that's more scalable. I mean, it doesn't say anything about uh, that one is more worthwhile than the other, but given the type of investor we are, a fund, one of the things that we need is eventually to see an exit strategy. So with a high-end restaurant, you can put your money in, but there's no way ever to get out. With a fast casual chain, if it grows, maybe another chain will be interested, a larger chain might be interested in buying them, or if they get big enough, they can do a, an uh, initial public offering, an IPO, and that's one way to get out. So that's one thing we look for. Mm-hmm. The other thing we'll look for is a broad appeal of the product. So we don't want a product that just appeals to vegans. We want a product that can go mainstream and get people who maybe are buying vegan products and eat them once, twice, three times a week, whatever it is, uh, because if you're just relying on the vegan market, then the company's not going to be able to grow. And, and if we're looking for impact, that's important. And then the final thing we're looking for is a really dedicated and smart entrepreneur, because you can have the best idea out there, but if you don't have the right people behind it, it's not going to work. And we need so people who are, are, are smart, aggressive, and also transparent. That's also very important to us. 
And what, so that, that's a good, so in terms of that then, do they have to have a certain amount of money behind them or how far ahead, I know they're in the startup phase, but how far ahead do they need to be for you to look at them and go, okay, they are, how do you determine, okay, they're smart and they're going to make this? So do they have to like put some of their own money in to, or anything like that? So, cause obviously I'm just, cause I get approached a lot by, you know, vegan business owners saying, oh, you know, we've got this great, do you know any investors have got this great opportunity? And, you know, sometimes I can intuitively tell, yeah, maybe you're not quite ready for investment or this than the other. So I'm just kind of curious how, again, you make those kind of decisions. Yeah, well, we've invested in companies that, as they call them, are pre-revenue. So, uh, in fact, the restaurant that we invested in in uh, Washington, D.C. called Shook, uh, he just came to us with the idea of the restaurant. But what he did is he developed the cuisine. He did sampling of the cuisine, and we also looked at his background, and he had definitely had an entrepreneurial background. He had a chef involved with this project as well who liked the idea so much, he actually went in as an equity partner, and they did. They were putting a, a fair amount of their own money into, into the deal. So the other thing I liked about him is that he actually went around the entire neighborhood, looked at other restaurants counted how many people were coming in, talked to the managers of those other restaurants about what their average bill size was and and how all that worked. And so he came to us having done an incredible amount of research. So all those things together, we got comfortable with the fact that uh, we'd invest in them even though they were were pre-revenue. So if you have somebody, an entrepreneur, who's got a really good background and really understands the market they're getting themselves into, we will invest just based on the idea. But what we get a lot of is someone coming and saying, I want us to open up a vegan coffee shop. They've never run a coffee shop before. They know nothing about doing that. (laughs) And everyone wants to open up a vegan coffee shop, and this one's going to be the best thing ever. So, you know, if you want to do that and you're going to show us that you can scale it, then we're not going to go in right away and do that. So a lot of it really depends on how much the entrepreneur really has their act together. You know, if they come to us and say, yeah, you know, we're going to, and I had this as well. Someone wanted to open up a, uh, a juice bar. So first, a juice bar really isn't as impactful, but they were going to open up in one of the highest rent areas in all of New York City. And by the end of the second year, they were making, you know, tens of millions of dollars already. And they needed to cover their costs for like their first three months. And I just looked at them and go, I don't believe your numbers, but if I believed your numbers and I were you, I wouldn't ask for any funding because (laughs) this is showing that you're profitable almost right away. So why give away any of your company if this is going to happen? Needless to say, they never actually did it because their numbers didn't make sense. So that's kind of the decision that we need to make. And a lot of it depends on how rational we think the, uh, the the uh, entrepreneur is in terms of how they approach the problem, the issues. Got it, got it. So I'm hearing that they need to do a lot of research and make sure that they're not inflating their numbers and are showing you that they, even if they haven't maybe got a huge amount of experience, but that they've done that kind of research, like the guy from Shook, they've done that research and, yeah, kind of showing to you that they they kind of, they have an idea of what they're doing and they're learning quickly. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I mean, in terms of inflating their numbers, I would I would modify that a little bit. 
don't inflate your numbers too much. Everyone inflates their number. Entrepreneur, and that's good because the entrepreneurs really believe that, you know, they're going to be a billion dollar company in two years. Right. They're not, but, you know, it's nice that they see that. So, you know, if you inflate them because you're really, you really think that this is a great deal, you know, I understand that when we put together our investment proposals for our backers, I always cut back the numbers to what I think are reasonable. Right, right, got it. Okay, cool. So what are some of the, and we've maybe touched on this a little bit, but what are some of the other mistakes that you see businesses and particularly startups make when approaching investors? Oh, I think just really not understanding the whole due diligence uh, process that, you know, that just, or, or feeling that they're entitled to the money as investors. We typically have fiduciary responsibilities to somebody uh, or to a group of investors, and it's not just like you tell us this and we're gonna we're gonna sign the check. So that's a, that's one problem I find. The other problem is valuation, particularly with startup companies. Is when you really look at what these companies are worth. Uh, typically, the uh, the entrepreneurs think they're worth much, much more than you can really justify. So when you ask them, like, how did you come up with the valuation? Either it's just a number they picked out of the air or they kind of work backwards and say, I'm only willing to give up 10% of the company and so, and I need this amount of money. So if you do the math, that's the value of the company. And that's, you know, that's not how you figure out the value of, the, of a company. So particularly at a very early stage, you know, don't be overly aggressive in the value of the company. What you might want to do instead is raise less money, prove your concept, then go out for the, a higher raise later when you actually have some revenue because you'll get a much better valuation after that. The, the One of the things that's really a bad thing to do is that if you value the company and then the company doesn't do as well as you thought and it's overvalued, then the next round of investors will not give you the same valuation. They'll give you a lower valuation. That's referred to as a down round. And that's not, and that really just particularly the initial investors, it gets everyone very upset and it's really doesn't, doesn't uh, speak well of the entrepreneur if they did that. So that's something I would be very careful about as an entrepreneur. Mm, that's great. Thank you for yeah for pointing that out. That's really important. No, that's brilliant. How can a business owner then, how do they know when they're ready for an investor? Because I know, as I say, a lot of business owners think, oh, yeah, I've got this great idea. I need money. I need money. But they're not necessarily going to be ready for an investor. So how would you um, how would you advise someone as to whether they're actually ready to receive investment? Well, again, I think, you know, we've invested at very different stages. So we've invested in ideas. And if you're going to invest, if you're looking for someone where you just have an idea, you have to know the investors and what they invest in. Some investors, and I would say most investors, would not invest at that stage. So most investors will want you to have at least a proof of concept, like a prototype or something like that of your product. Uh, and they have to know that, you know, that, uh, that it's, it's feasible. But I think the real thing is I would advise them to really put together a business plan where, you know, you actually think through all the different issues that you're going to be facing, how much it's going to cost 
to produce your goods? What happens as you get larger? How are you going to market your goods? Because the, the more that you you think through that and you can present that to the um, to the investors, the more likely you are to get funded. The other thing that I think is really important is getting the right team together. We invested in in a company called uh, Alpha Foods that makes like handheld burritos and hot dogs and hamburgers, all vegan uh, line of all those products. And the team they put together from the chef to the marketing people to the production people were all really first rate. And they really knew what they're doing. They had a lot of connections in the industry. So if as an entrepreneur, you have a great idea, but you have no industry experience, find somebody who fills in those gaps and go to investors with a team that is a strong team and a team that makes sense. It's better if you can put in your own money into that because you know what an investor wants to make sure, particularly at a very early stage, that this is sticky. In other words, if it doesn't work out, they don't want you just walking away. And if you have money in the deal and if you walk away, you're going to lose your money too. That gives the investors more confidence that you're going to be there for the, for the longer term. So those are some things I think you need to do. Absolutely. Now, that makes a lot of sense, actually, for sure. You know, it's kind of easy to spend someone else's money. <laughs> but when it's your own, yeah, right. you've often got, got more of a yeah motive to, to make something work. Um, so in terms of you know, what about the risks then? Can you talk a little bit about the risks that are involved in regards to investment for both the business owner and also the investor? Yeah, well, from the investor side, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. You know, you're the concept that you're investing in may not catch on. So, I mean, if you look at the statistics, probably half of the uh, companies that startup companies will fail within two years. So we're on our, we're, we've gone a year and a half and so far no defaults. So that's, that's, you know, the biggest risk. Uh, I think there's also risks of sticking to mission. So we have a very specific mission, which is plant-based and some companies that we invest in, you can, you know, potentially they could add animal products or something along those lines, which we typically put in a uh, put option that if they, they start using animal products, they have to, they can do that, but they have to pass back our money. So we try to cover that risk. So that's from the, um, the investor side, from the entrepreneur side, you know, some of it's the same types of risk. You have a great idea that you think is great. It doesn't catch on. From a restaurant standpoint, just whatever you think it's going to cost, double it, and it'll probably still cost more than that. So you got to make sure that when things go wrong, that you have enough of a financial cushion to uh, to cover the risks of, of the production. I know a number of people with restaurants who, you know, in New York City, opening up a restaurant maybe costs you a million bucks to do it the first time. The second time when you've learned all what mistakes you have, you've made, maybe costs you half that amount. But if you haven't raised enough, and I've seen that, you know, with a number of restaurants, so that's exactly what happened. And then they get good at it, and then, you know, it costs them maybe a few hundred thousand dollars per restaurant to, to do. And part of it is economies of scale. Part of it is they just learn the ropes. And so making sure that you have enough of a, of a cushion, uh, making sure that you understand how to get your products distributed. You know, that if you go in and you walk into all foods and say, buy my product 
and they really like your product, you know, what's their procedures? When do they actually review products? If you sell to them, you know, most of these companies don't buy direct. You have to go through uh, one of the big distributors that, uh, so you have to work out with the distributors how you're going to get your product to these places. So a lot of it is the practical logistics. What type of equipment do you need? You know, if you get a deal, uh, and it, it, can you actually fulfill that? So those are the types of things that uh, the the entrepreneurs need to really think about, like how how do they become successful and what pieces do they need in place in order to do that. Absolutely. Now, thank you for explaining that. In terms of the equity, because obviously when an investor comes in, generally speaking, it's in return for uh, an equity stake in the company. Do you recommend that the, the main vegan business owner always maintains like 51% of the company so that they're the majority shareholder or not necessarily? Yeah, I actually prefer them to be the majority holder uh, for a number of reasons. The first reason is we're investing in them. And so if they're not the majority holder and if the investors are, in a lot of cases, it gives the investors too much power. And if I've invested in a vegan business that I think is going to be really great, and then the entrepreneur is not able to execute on the vision, I think that's that's a, a very bad thing. So particularly when you first start up, it's important. As the company grows and then they get to later stage capital requirements and particularly venture capitalists, they may end up going to a minority stake, but, and then they need to be careful about how they, what type of provisions they put in their funding so that they can maintain the vision and the social vision for the, for the company in general. But yeah, I think it's actually pretty important that they not give away the majority of the company or at least the core employees hold the the majority in the company, at least until some of the later funding rounds. Got it, got it. Now, once you've made an investment in a business, what do you expect from them going forward? Mostly transparency. Uh, We want to know how they're doing. We want to know, we want to get regular updates on their progress. You know, we want them, if there's some way that we can be helpful to them, in terms of advice or connections that, you know, we want to make sure that they're, they're comfortable coming to us. So, you know, those are the main things, but it's really, we want to just make sure that we have good communication. The one thing we're very careful about um, is we don't, we also don't want to get in their way. We don't want to be overbearing as an investor and require them to give us like monthly updates or something like that, because, I'd much rather have them concentrating on growing their business than writing out reports for me. So, you know, things like quarterly updates uh, are are good. You know, semi-annual or annual financial updates uh, would be, is also very helpful. Fantastic. And I love that you, so you've mentioned that it sounds like you are, you're willing to be uh, fairly hands-on if required in terms of guiding them. So you're not just one of those investors where, you know, you just put your money in and say, right, now go and make me a ton of money as an investor. You're kind of like, no, if you need advice and help, they can actually um, ask that. So that's kind of an extra, um, I guess, service they get from you as an investor. Yeah. And I think most uh, early stage investors I really think the same way, at least the ones that we've been dealing with through the glass wall syndicate. 
Fantastic. Fantastic. So how do you decide when to pull out? So say you've done an investment and think, how do you kind of figure out, okay, so things aren't working. What, what do you do when you see something like that happen? Well, first, pulling out is something as an early stage investor, you usually don't have the uh, option to do. Uh, so, you know, like the different ways to structure early stage investments, you can have direct equity. And in some, you know, we just, we're owners, part owners of the company. Uh, but also very common is what they call a convertible note. So it's a loan that you make that at some point converts into equity in the company if certain conditions are met. Uh, so if you have a convertible note, I mean, generally if things are going badly, you, you hope the company will talk to you. And you can help them and talk to them about strategy or, you know, they may need additional funding. So if they need additional funding, you can say, well, we'll give you the additional funding if you do these things or, you know, work with this person. Sometimes uh, it's that you need a change in management and you'll try to uh, ease the founder out in certain cases. And, and, you know, that's, that happens when you have a founder who maybe brought the company to a certain level because that's their background and experience. And then maybe to go to the next level, you need a different skill set. So you'll look at, uh, you'll look at, at that as well. So if you have a convertible note, which typically has a two year term, you don't have much leverage as an investor until either the company needs more money or their convertible notes are coming due. Because if there's a problem with the company, obviously the company's not going to have the money to pay you. And so you'll give them concessions on paying you, but that's when you can say, but I want you to do X, Y, and Z. I see. And that's, that's where you have that. So early stage companies, typically it's feast or famine. You know, they either do well enough where you'll have a liquidation event, like another company will buy them out, or you lose the money. You lose your investment. We so far in our fund, you know, given a year and a half, we haven't had either one of those. So Fantastic. I guess that's good. <laughs> Excellent. You mentioned, as you touched on the buyouts, what are your thoughts? And because we've seen a lot of like big animal based companies like Tyson's, for example, buying up shares in Beyond Meat. Um, and now we've seen Amazon buying uh, Whole Foods markets, which is kind of interesting. What are your thoughts on, uh, you know, vegan or ethical plant based companies being bought out by these larger, I guess, unethical brands? I think it's great. I mean, I think that's exactly what we need to happen because if you think about it and, you know, Tyson to start talking about themselves as a protein company rather than a meat company is a really big change in philosophy. And, you know, if there, if you start getting increase in demand for plant-based proteins, and Tyson buys a or invests in a plant-based protein company, they're not doing it to drive them out of business. They're doing it to expand their business. And, you know, you can look at, at purity and say, well, I don't want to deal with Tyson. But if by Tyson uh, investing in Beyond Meat or Pinnacle Foods buying, you know, investing in, in uh, Gardein or buying Gardein, if they can take them, from like a 10 million in sales to 100 million in sales, that's a lot of animals that are not being consumed because of that. So I'd rather have them behind you in supporting these companies and investing in these companies. And, you know, the interesting thing is more and more of these uh, 
meat companies are doing that because you know the whole structure that they've put in place uh with the you know the the uh factory farms that they have and that whole product and the global warming and all that. I mean, they know it's not sustainable. And so they're trying to protect themselves by going into these other markets and putting a lot of money behind plant-based products. So if they can help it grow and they can uh, switch over or have a large portion of the proteins they produce, not involve animals. I don't see why we wouldn't support that. Yeah, no, it's good to get that take because it's kind of it's unprecedented times, really. I mean, I've been vegan twenty years, and I never thought we'd see the day where meat companies are actually going, "Okay, let's buy a vegan product." Yeah, um, it's pretty exciting well, and fascinating at the same time. Would you put in place something though? Say, for example, you you know you were a vegan company, and um, you know one of those big companies either wanted to buy you out. Oh, but particularly buying you out, would you put in place something to say, okay, but you can't then start adding animal products to the brand? Is that possible or even legal? Or what are your recommendations on that? Yeah, well, I, I don't. Well, first, I don't think uh, a company would agree to that. A large company, I'm not so sure how enforceable it, it would be uh, to do that. Uh, and the other thing is, I would think it would be. Uh, a little unusual for them to do that because they bought a brand with a certain reputation. And if they start fooling around with that, they lose the reputation and they lose the, the sales. So that's true. You know, partly they're buying, they're buying a company for a specific reason. And the other thing is if you got, you know, typically you'll have some form of non-compete or something. You might want to, if you really are concerned about that, rather than saying you can't use animal products under this name, you can say, if you use animal products under the same, then uh, the non-compete goes away. And so you just got a huge payout from uh, one of these companies to buy out your company. And if they're not producing the, the product the right way, then take that money and start up another company and take back your business from uh, that. So okay, I think right. there are a lot of, there are a lot of other ways to deal with this rather than prohibiting them from using animal products. Got it. Fantastic. So in terms of, I noticed on your website, on Veg Invest, and we'll put a link to that, of course, in the show notes page, so people can literally go onto your website and uh, fill out a form online. I know you've touched on having a business plan in place. Are there any other kinds of things or, that you would need to see for them to have ready so that, um, yeah, they can pitch you to get some funding? Yeah, I mean, I think what the, what we look to see is a fairly like a n- nicely put together. They call investor deck that explains the concept, gives the backgrounds of the people, some ideas of what the financial expectations of the company are, just so we get an idea of what what area you're in and what products that you're you're uh, you're producing. So, I mean, that's to get started. That's pretty much all we'll look for. If something, and again, remember, you're creating a first impression. So if you send us something that is very difficult to read and has lots of typos in it, odds are you're not going to get a call back from us. If you've put some thought and effort into your presentation, you're much more likely to get a positive response. Got it. So would that be something like a PowerPoint presentation that they would email to you electronically, or do you like to get physical printed stuff in the mail i i just like getting physical printed stuff 
You do. <laughs> so yeah, the one, <laughs> no, I don't want I, I, I don't want paper. Uh, no, definitely electronically. Uh, and, and you know, we've invested, so it doesn't have to be local either. So that that helps. Uh, if we can get something electronically and it looks good, a PowerPoint, a PDF, something like that is fine. Oh, fantastic. Now, you mentioned locally. So do you invest only in U.S. companies or do you also invest internationally? We're, we haven't yet invested internationally, but we have a couple of companies that we're about to invest in. One is an Israeli company and one is a Dutch company. Uh, so we certainly would look at companies outside the US oh, what cool. we have to be what we have to be concerned with is one you know the due diligence process how do we actually get to know the people how do we know that they're for real and all that so a lot of times like the Israeli company was through an incubator which we knew of there and we knew the people there so that gave us a high degree of confidence and they've the people have come to New York and we've met them in, in New York we also have to look at what the tax treatment is. Some of the country, some countries, uh, and more in the developing world will have issues with money transfers between countries. They'll have local ownership rules. So we just have to get comfortable with those types of issues, but we certainly would, uh, look at investments outside the U.S. Fantastic. Fantastic. And you're not just focused on the food. Is that right? So if it was a, an innovative ethical product that was making a difference, you'd consider that as well. Is that right? Or are you mainly focused on food? No, no. We'll, we'll look at, uh, so we've invested in, uh, materials, the, the, the um, the cultured leather. I mean, if there are right. other yeah. uh, material alternatives, we'd look at that. We've invested in the biotech. Space. I'd love to find more of these companies that are doing like the organs on a chip. I think it's a cool. fascinating area with that. We're probably going to be investing in the cultured meat, so that's food, but restaurants, I mean, it could be lifestyle. Uh, there's one company that we invested in that is um, more a technology company, being able to bring vegan menu planning to uh, to people so they don't actually do the food part of it but they can do the menus, they can help you track what you're eating, they can create shopping lists for you. So, you know, like those type of things are also of interest. It can be as long as we feel it can have an impact on taking animals out of the system in some way, uh, we're willing to look at it. Wonderful. Now, you've shared some amazing tips, which is absolutely brilliant. Is there anything, any other tips or advice for vegan business owners looking for investment that you can think of that perhaps I haven't asked about? Yeah, just be really passionate about what you do. You're going to be spending a lot of time doing it if you get the money, and you just got to really, really want to do this. Absolutely. And finally, what's your long-term vision, uh, Jody, for Veg Invest and for yourself? Well, um, I'd say, I mean, there's some projects that we're looking at that um, will help create more of an ecosystem for vegan companies. So, for example, we're, we've been studying whether or not to open a vegan incubator for, for companies so that early, very early stage companies have a place where they can produce their goods and all that. So we're beginning to see more of kind of a, a, a ecosystem develop. As I mentioned, Stray Dog, uh, sorry, uh, Glass Wall Syndicate uh, has set up so that now is on the investor side trying to coordinate the investors. 
So I just want to see like the whole vegan infrastructure be developing and for VegInvest to be a big part of that and using some of the, the background that I, that I have, uh, from my other experience in finance and in microfinance to try to bring that more to the vegan world. So, you know, that's, that's kind of where I'd like this to go. And I think we're making some good progress in this after a year and a half. Uh, my goal is, you know, hey, I retired once and I'd like to retire again. <laughs> so, so I guess, you know, my goal is to at least be there at the beginning of this and to get it started and then have it be able to operate, uh, on its own and expand with the next generation of, uh, visionaries who can uh, take this to the next level. Wonderful. Fantastic. You've shared some really, really great insights and tips for people looking for investment. This has been absolutely brilliant. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, Jody, and absolutely love what you do. I think it's exciting times and how brilliant it is that something like VegInvest um, now exists, which is wonderful. So thank you very, very much for joining me today. No, well, thank you for having me on the uh, podcast. So that was Jody Rash of Veg Invest Trust. You can find out more at veginvesttrust.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 76. Now for our vegan business news roundup. The first vegan cafe in Aberdeen, Scotland opened this month. That's June 2017 if you're listening in the future reports the Evening Express. Bonobo Cafe, launched after a successful crowdfunding campaign, raised more than its target £12,000 in March. The cafe started as a small vegan Saturday tea room at a wellbeing centre in 2015, run by volunteers. All the takings were put back into the venture to raise funds to enable it to become a full-time business. The menu features wraps, soups, hot pots and a full English breakfast, plus a range of vegan cheeses and meat alternatives for sale. So this is a great example of doing what it takes to raise the money to open a full-time business. And the crowdfunding effort goes to show that Bonobo is obviously filling a local need. Fantastic. A woman from Boulder, Colorado, has developed what she claims is the world's first vegan hemp edible intimacy enhancer, reports Daily Camera. Karma Cream is made by Shadi Ramey, who decided to experiment with her homemade hemp face and body lotion and use it as a lubricant. She was so pleased with the result that she renamed it Karma Cream, Karma is Sanskrit for pleasure or desire, and launched the all-natural product in April at the NoCo Hemp Expo. Karma Cream is also free from preservatives and Raimi uses eco-friendly packaging. She says she's using her product as a force for good against mainstream lube companies who fill their products with harsh chemicals. She doesn't want to go through the legal expense of getting Karma Cream certified as a lube, instead preferring the term intimacy enhancer. This is fabulous. Last week, you may remember I reported on another vegan condom brand launching, and now this. It's great to see this sector getting on board with the cruelty-free trend. 
Two young women in Adelaide, Australia, were featured in the Daily Mail this week, showcasing their business in which they make vegan bath products that look and smell like food. Oh Dear Sugar came about after Shani Rosser, a trained chef, made a body scrub for her partner Nikki Merritt one Christmas. The couple's friends loved it so much that they asked Rosser to make them some products and offered to pay her for them. Not only do the products look and smell like food, they create an explosion of colour when they're dropped into a bath. We're talking full-blown unicorns and rainbows here, with flavours including bubblegum and ingredients including biodegradable glitter. Their products are also organic and fair trade and wrapped in sustainable packaging. The two women, who are both just 26, started the business in 2013 while working full-time, eventually leaving their jobs to focus on Odia Sugar, which opened its storefront two years later after the pair received support through a South Australian government-funded project for startups. They started the shop front with free rent and then built up a plan that allowed them to turn it into a commercial lease in 2016. I love this story. If you follow me on social media, you'll know that I'm a huge fan of glitter and bright colours, so this ticks all the boxes. And it just goes to show it's worth checking out what support is available to you in your area if you're looking to start a business. Also, if you have a quirky and innovative product, this is a really good hook to get you media coverage. Finally, a Middle Eastern princess has invested in a vegan cheese startup, reports Veg News. United Arab Emirates royal family member Shakira Awar Al Qasim has thrown her support behind Indian company Vegan Foods. Founder Kinjal Darak Kanawala said the undisclosed capital investment will go towards launching a soy-free vegan cheese to market in Mumbai, where the company is based, initially via food delivery platforms and eventually in retail spaces. The princess said she decided to back the company after learning it plans to have a 90% female workforce by hiring from organisations that groom and empower women from disadvantaged backgrounds. Darat Kanahawala also plans to develop other vegan staples and expand the company's products into airlines, hotels, coffee shops, catering services and restaurants. It's great to see interest in the plant-based sector happening across the globe. It's exciting times. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.